Hello, and welcome to Exploring Your Story with Rachel Kaysen. We're on part three of our introductory series where we're looking at exploring stories. And this week, I'd like to ask you, how do you tell your story? What are your familiar narratives when you communicate the history of who you are? I remember how astounded I felt when a friend of mine, who I'd known for years and who'd seen me traverse fairly rocky moments in my life, and she pronounced me calm. She actually declared it to be a sort of founding characteristic that she saw in me. And as I rarely, rarely am, I was speechless. I never thought of myself as calm and in fact had kind of constructed this narrative throughout my adult life based on my memories even as a child of this kind of frantic activity that characterised me and defined me. This had been reiterated and fed back to me throughout my marriage that I was just this kind of manic doer a worrier, somebody who couldn't sit still. To have somebody see me as calm meant a huge amount to me because it was something I wanted to be able to say about myself. I'm still not convinced, but it meant a lot to me that my friend saw beyond the narrative that I was using to tell the story of me and instead challenged that narrative in, of course, the kindest and most loving of ways. Very often, I think, the best way to see how we are telling our stories is precisely when our narratives are actually being challenged. When somebody disagrees or when our behaviour doesn't seem to match the narrative that we're telling about ourselves. We can often see this very plainly when our Facebook timelines actually don't seem to fairly reflect the reality of our lived experience. In fact, in a sort of strange irony, my Facebook timeline is actually quieter when everything is as glossy as other times would suggest that they are. I feel less need to take photographs and post my achievements or my activities when I am actually calmer and more productive and just simply happier. There's this disconnect sometimes between the story we tell and the story we're living. Can you think of times in your life when your narratives have been challenged? Has a friend, like with me, suggested something about yourself or your story that is just unfamiliar to your ear? But what do I mean when I ask you, how do you tell your story? I'm thinking about when we're asked to relate how our day has been, how our year has been. Those moments that can sometimes feel very, very uncomfortable on New Year's Eve when we're asked to reflect 
and then communicate in ideally under five sentences to the very tired people or the very excited people that are listening. It can feel daunting to sum up our stories in such a way and yet we do it all the time. So how are you? How are things going? We ask these questions as we wait to collect our children in the school playground or at work over a coffee. So what's new for you? So when did you do that then? We're always trying to place people within their stories. When was that gap here? When did you have that career move? Where does your story start? Where are you now within it? And our answers tell our story. Well, I'm only a stay-at-home mum. Oh, well, I'm really busy with my career right now. Oh, I don't have much time to socialise. I'm saving up for a deposit. We encapsulate the complexity of our stories in short phrases frequently. So it's worth spending time noticing how we're doing that. Does your narrative shrink your story? Does it shrink you? I'm only, I'm just. We Brits are famed for our ability to be self-depreciating. We shrink ourselves almost for comic effect, but this can have a cumulative effect when it becomes our standard narrative. I remember when I first founded my business, Life Story Therapies, and I probably spent about two years thinking I was still in my first few months of being self-employed. I couldn't get my head around the fact that actually, after a couple of years... I'm still new at this wasn't really a legitimate phrase anymore. It was the phrase and the narrative that I used to shrink my experience. Because actually taking my place in my story and saying, no, you have experience, there's precedent for the decisions you're making now, felt a bit big and a bit scary and a bit intimidating. But as anybody will know who's ever tried to squeeze into the jumper, shrunk in the wash, a shrunken story is very uncomfortable. We need room to grow. How can we stretch our narratives so that there's room for us? This is my first year, but I'm learning is a growing space narrative. I'm in my second year, but I still feel new, is a validating but growing narrative. We can validate the feelings of needing to shrink at the same time as acknowledging the reality of our own growth. How can we communicate the bigness of ourselves.
in our stories. Does your story and the way you tell your story connect you to other people or does it isolate you from them? In my work, I spend a lot of time listening to the stories of people who were raised abroad, who spent their childhoods primarily outside of what we would call their passport culture. And this group of people are typically referred to as third culture kids. They might be missionary kids or military kids, business kids, diplomat kids. And the frequency of their travel might vary. They might move every two years, every four years. The number of countries that they've lived and studied in might also vary. But what is often shared is an experience of feeling misunderstood culturally and personally, a feeling of somehow being marginal, on the edges. When you move a lot, your story develops around change rather than stability and your narrative becomes one of learning as quickly as you can to fit in rather than necessarily feeling yourself to have deep roots. And so disconnection can become the primary theme. I can connect quickly, but I can disconnect quickly too. In fact, I have to because I might be moving next month. This can become a common um, driving thought and belief for a lot of people that I work with. And that feeling of marginality in a story can be deeply painful. Perhaps your story is one of um, transition or perhaps your story is of a different kind. Maybe chronic illness has isolated you socially in your careers. Maybe the loss of a relationship also lost you friends and community. There are so many ways that we can find ourselves feeling isolated. We need stories that can allow opportunity for connection as well as validate our experience of isolation. Can we be marginals together? There's enough of us about. However particular the detail and plot line of our own story, there will be connecting themes because we are human and we share emotions. Do we tell a story that says, other people won't understand me and if they did, they would reject me? Or do we tell stories that say, I feel a bit different? I wonder if they've ever felt a bit different too. The difference in our framing can allow opportunity for connection where fear and previous wounds might make us very hesitant to reach out. But the best stories are ones that are shared. Do you like the story you tell? 
Does it make you feel like you? Or like the you you want to think of yourself as being? I caught myself not that long ago in response to the simple question of how has your day been? I found myself replying, oh, busy, you know. And the person I was speaking to when I returned the question proceeded to outline an experience of feeling relaxed and having had time and space to enjoy the day. And I caught myself thinking, hang on, I did too. So why didn't I express that? I had had a really relaxing day full of wonderful, nurturing moments, and yet my instinctual response was busy. My response actually didn't reflect how hard I had been working to get better at resting, better at self-nurture, better at noticing my own needs and meeting them. My narrative was lagging behind. It was more reflective of what I thought I should say. My underlying belief that if I wasn't busy, I wasn't productive, and if I wasn't productive, I wasn't worthy. And if I wasn't worthy, I wouldn't be accepted. Does that feel like a familiar thought process? I can't be the only one. And we live in a culture that glorifies busyness. We have magazine articles telling us how to multitask, how to be more efficient with our time. We even have fashion advice teaching us that if we construct the right outfit with particular accessories and the right shoes, we can go from a day look to a night look with very little fuss. Because, you know, a whole outfit change would just take too much time. We're busy. We don't have time for outfit changes. We have to multitask. We glorify busy. And yet, I don't want to be a saint of busyness. I don't want that to be my narrative. My narrative needed to change. And in that moment, I noticed that. And want it to change. So now I catch myself. So how's your day been? And I pause. Because the instinct is still there. Do you have a narrative that you want to change? How do you report your story? And do you want to do it that way anymore? Of course, how we tell our own story is just one facet of how we tell the story of those around us. How we tell the stories of our culture and our community, our society. I probably should explain that a bit. The story I might tell of myself, I am busy, is just one side of the story that I'm also telling on behalf of other people. They need me to be busy. They need me to be busy so that they can accept me. I'm telling their story for them. 
Perhaps my narrative is that I feel isolated. And the flip side of that, and the story that I'm telling on behalf of other people, is that no one wants me. Equally, the story I might be telling about myself and my life might be that I'm happy. And so the story I tell on behalf of other people is that they're glad to have me there, that I've found a way to thrive, to find a place in the world. Of course, in each of these cases, I'm telling their story too. And how often do we do this? How often do we find ourselves standing in a group, introducing ourselves, introducing our stories, and we find ourselves attempting to mind read? What are they thinking? What are they feeling? And this is a social habit. We need to be able to do this to some extent. We need to be able to read body language to just be able to function as a, as a group, as a, as a society. But how much responsibility do we actually need to take for guessing and being mouthpieces for other people's stories? Can we stop a moment and listen to the story they are actually telling us? In those moments I might feel isolated, if I keep listening, there's a chance I will find somebody telling a story that I am not alone, not unwanted. Can we keep listening to the stories other people are telling, even as we tell our own? In my work with clients, I call this way of thinking data gathering, which is a bit of a hangover to my researcher days, I think. But I find it a useful concept. If I really want to investigate new ways of being, new ways of thinking, I need data. And if I have strongly held beliefs about myself, about my story, about how the world works, I need data to back those up. And I need to keep listening for data. Find the evidence for my beliefs. Is it possible that when we tell other people's story for them, we're doing them an injustice? Our stories can sometimes get muddled. And I just want to finish today reflecting on something I noticed earlier as I was out for a walk with my daughter. My daughter is very like me and it's something that I say to her a lot, you're just like me, both in positives, in terms of uh, strength of opinion, (laughs) um, also in more challenging areas, lack of confidence, a bit of shyness. Except that today on her walk, she wanted to dive off where I couldn't see her to prove she could walk those places on her own. And she was very thoughtful. She kept calling back to me, kept reassuring me that she was there. But I was surprised by how nervous I was when she was out of sight. 
even though I wanted to validate in her her ability to display a kind of independence that we've been working up to for, frankly, years. And I noticed in that moment that, yes, my girl is just like me, except when she isn't. Because I didn't recognise myself in her at that age, in that moment. And I need to be careful that while there is comfort in our alikeness, in our empathy. She is not me, and she is telling her own story. And that's a beautiful thing. Are you telling your story? And how are you telling it? Thank you for listening today. And I'll join you for part four next week as we look at the final part of our series exploring stories and that time we will be looking at what your next chapters are going to be in your story how do we handle the future as we explore our stories